to the book of Luke. We're gonna go back to chapter 10 where we were last week, but we're gonna be right after our previous story. We're gonna start at verse 25. It will be on the screen if you would like to read along or you can listen as the word of God washes over us. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test the teacher, Jesus, stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and saw him. He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after them, he said, and I will return. I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to all the things that he said. But Martha was distracted by, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to come help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord replied. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. We're continuing our series called What Comes Next, as we've had a lot of changes in the church recently. We have a whole new team of pastors that have come in. We have staff people that have turned over. There's been change just in general in the church. We're all left asking, well, what's, what's next? What comes after this? Everything, is everything gonna be different? Is it all gonna be the same? What comes next? And last week, we, we celebrated the rich tradition of Dauphin Way and all the amazing things that have gone on in the past and, and things I'm so thankful to have heard about and to be a part of. Today, though, I would like to preach from the subject, it takes a village. It takes a village. So will you pray with me this morning? God, thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Have you ever heard that phrase? It takes a village to raise a child. Have you ever used that phrase? It takes a village to raise a child. I'm very grateful to have patient parents they're both here today. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. It's good to see y'all. And probably like, um, like most of you, nothing has the potential to embarrass me more than what might come out of their mouths. And so I want to go ahead and apologize if they say something. I can't control them. I love them. But, you know, 
I get my, my crazy energy from them. So we're just one big ball of energy as a family. And my parents, um, they are very patient people. I hope to have the patience that they did with me as a child, because though I was not actually like diagnosed hyperactive, I don't think that word would have been sufficient to be able to describe the amount of energy I had as a kid. And really, as I have now, Brianna will tell you, it hasn't really changed very much. You can tell sometimes when I get excited, I talk really fast and I get going, I get on the subject about Jesus, I get excited about Jesus and worship, I just talk as fast as I can. I'm trying not to do that. I recognize that not everybody listens as fast as I talk. And Brianna's got this, like, she'll do this. You can't see her. She's on the front row of my wife. She'll go. <laughs> I mean, slow down. You're too excited again. But my parents, they, um, they loved me despite a lot of energy and craziness I had as a child. I remember my McDonald's order had to be with Sprite. I was not allowed to have Coke because my parents told me Coke made me wild. And I had to memorize, I want a cheeseburger, Happy Meal Sprite. I could never say Coke when I was with a kid because I did a lot of silly things because I was just so hyper, so energetic. And they still love me despite the fact that one time I took all my mother's porcelain horses, these collections she had, and had a horse race down the stairs to see which one would make it. Yep, shattered everywhere. They loved me despite the fact that one time I tried to chew a whole roll of bubble tape and almost choked, so I took the whole thing out, all chewed, nasty wad, and put it in the cup holder in the back of my mom's van. And they didn't find it for like a couple months. And I was like growing. They love me despite the fact that one time I, um, I practiced my baseball swing on my dad's beautiful Japanese magnolia tree and it ceased to live. And they love me despite the fact that um, I was a biter as a child. Maybe some of you were biters as children as well. I, I, once, I pretended to be a dog. I one time bit the dog. I didn't go well. I bit other children. This is totally frowned upon. Kids, if you're in here, don't bite people. It's not good. One time, my mom had to come up to my preschool because I bit a kid, and I was at this church preschool, and so she took me into the sanctuary, and she says, do you see who that is? She said, that's Jesus, and Jesus doesn't like it when people bite, and I got spanked right in front of Jesus. <laughs> they continued to love me, despite one time I wanted to see how hot the water could get, so I sprayed my sister with it while she was in the tub like, to see exactly how hot the water could get. They loved me. Even one time when we were fishing when I was three years old, and I decided I didn't want to wear my clothes anymore, so I threw them all in the pond. And my dad had to fish them out with his fishing rod. My parents have a lot of patience, and they are wonderful. And as great as my parents are, I'm sure they would also admit they're glad they had a village to help raise me. They had my grandparents, they had my youth pastor, my aunt and uncle, my teachers, other people's parents. And though my parents were definitely the biggest influence on my life, I know that I can see the work of other people as well who had an influence on raising me because it does take a village to raise a child. And as I said near my ordination, I think it took a couple villages to contain all my energy. I think the church is like that. The church is a village. The church is, is a group of people who support one another, who love one another. The church is, is a, peop, a group of people who do the work of God in the world. It's not just about one person or about the leadership or about the pastors. The church is all of us. It's all of us working together to make the kingdom known on earth as it is in heaven. And I think our text this morning gives us the, our very reason for being. It helps us to inform ourselves of why we do what we do. 
We're picking up exactly where we left off last week in the book of Luke. Last week, the disciples went out and they served. 70 disciples went out, they served. They came back and they stopped and they rejoiced about the good work that was going on. And right after that, it says that a lawyer came up and he asked Jesus a question. The text says, actually, he came to test Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And this is different than what we see in Mark and Matthew, where the lawyer asks, well, what's the greatest commandment? Luke really shows the true heart of the question. It's not just about, well, what's the greatest among the law? It's what must I do to make sure that I'm saved? He wants to know, how can I get to heaven? How can I make sure that that I get to experience eternal life? And so Jesus responds by saying, well, what is written in the law? This was intentional. He was turning the question back on the lawyer because the lawyer is supposed to be an expert, right? Because in Israelite, in the ancient Israelite times in the first century, there was no difference between secular law and religious law. Today we have the separation of church and state, and so lawyers often don't weigh in on church matters, and pastors often don't weigh in on political matters, even though Jesus has something to say about all those things too. But today specifically, you see, he's asking the lawyer about the law because it matters not only for civic duty, but for religious authority and engagement. And so the lawyer responds by quoting the Shema. This is part of the scripture that all the Jews know. They, they all know the Shema. They say it twice a day. It's from Deuteronomy. And so everybody listening knew what the lawyer was saying when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus very simply and matter of fact says, yep, that's it. You've answered right, do this, and you will live. But the lawyer wasn't quite done. He says, he pushes Jesus a little farther. Even the text says he wants to justify himself, the lawyer does. And so he says, and just, who is my neighbor? You see what's happening here? The lawyer and Jesus, they're having a a question, a discussion about the interpretation of texts. We do this all the time when we say, well, how do you read this text? Or when we study the Bible together, well, I heard the Lord saying this to me through this scripture. And sometimes in class, in seminary, or whether you're in a Bible study, you'll be like, well, I think the text is really saying this if we look at it in this way, because sometimes interpretation is really important to decide how we believe about Jesus and about our faith. And that's exactly what's going on here. They're interpreting Deuteronomy 6. The verses the lawyer quoting is verses from the Bible, from the Hebrew Bible. And so the lawyer is really asking Jesus, what do you think Deuteronomy has to say about who our neighbor is? And Jesus does his Jesus thing again, which if I were the lawyer or anybody hanging out with Jesus, this would frustrate me so much. Have you ever noticed when people ask Jesus a question, he rarely gives them an answer. He often responds with another question or just tells a story. Like in school, can you imagine how frustrating that'd be? If it'd be like, well, is this gonna be on the test? And the teacher would just go on some random story, some tangent. Or if you'd be like, you know, if I were to ask you a question, hey, what am I supposed to do about this? And you were to be like, well, what do you think I should do about this? And what do you, it would fear, infuriate me. But Jesus does that all the time in the gospels. That's how Jesus teaches. He doesn't just give answers. He helps people find the truth. I think that's so powerful and for us to remember today that, that Jesus is not always telling people what they should do. He's helping them to find it on their own. And so the lawyer asks, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story about a man who was traveling and on his journey, he was robbed, he was stripped naked, left to die on the side of the street. And he tells this story in a way that you immediately feel pity for the person on the side of the road. But then he says that a priest happened to be walking by And hearing this story, think, oh good, a religious leader is gonna come help the person. 
but it says he passed by on the other side. Didn't help. And then a Levite, who is like the religious elite, like the the bishop came by, or like this high religious figure came by. He saw the man and walked by on the other side. And if we're the Israelites, if we're in this story, if we're listening to Jesus tell this story, I bet we're probably thinking, oh, he's about to say an Israelite came by, you know, a common person. They were all neighbors. We can help our, because they're just like us. We help the people like us. But he didn't. He did something very different. He said a Samaritan came by. Samaritans and Jews hate each other. They don't like each other at all. And Jesus uses the Samaritan to say, the Samaritan came and he saw the man and he took pity on him. And he went over and he poured wine and oil on the wounds to clean them out. He bandaged them up. He took them to the inn. He took care of him. He even paid the innkeeper to take care of him when he left, knowing that there's no way this man could repay him. A Samaritan, the hated race, a Samaritan came and offered mercy. And after telling this story, he turns back to the lawyer because the lawyer is trying to trap Jesus. The lawyer basically wants to know, Jesus, do you think we should think of our neighbors like Leviticus 19 says, love the alien as yourself? Or would you agree with us, the more culturally minded, that our neighbors are are the Israelites, the people in our own tribe? And so after telling this story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus forces the lawyer to answer the question. And the lawyer's furious. Because there's only one obvious answer, right? Who is the one who's the good neighbor? The Samaritan. But the lawyer won't even say that. He just says, it was the one who showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. And so Jesus says, go and do likewise. He says, go and be like a Samaritan. I love the story of the Good Samaritan. I think on its own, it has so much for us to talk about and to dive into. But one of the great things about the Gospels and about the authors of the Gospels is the stories are, are put together in a way that they influence each other. Text is supposed to be read in continuation because the stories, they, they interact with one another. And this is a perfect example of that. The story of the Good Samaritan is not fully appreciated and understood unless it's read alongside the story of Mary and Martha. Because in the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus goes over to their house to share a meal. And he's just hanging out on the den floor, you know, telling stories. And Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet. She wants to hear everything Jesus has to say. And Martha, she's getting the meal ready. She's over preparing food. And she's doing all the things that she's supposed to be doing. And Mary's just sitting crisscross applesauce looking at Jesus and listening to everything he has to say. And Martha's getting furious. It reminds me of like when my sister and I used to do chores together. And she'd be doing all the chores. And I'd be hanging out in the den watching TV. And she'd say, hey, come help us do chores. And I'd be like, all right. Nah, I'm good. I mean, it was basically like that. And I'll tell that, that's another story. I'll tell it some other time because she got mad. But it reminds me of, of, of that sibling relationship. And it seems like Martha is a person doing right and Mary is a person not doing what she's supposed to do. But that's not what the story says at all. Jesus says, um, after Martha gets upset, she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister is not helping me, that I have to do the work by myself? Tell her to get up and help me. And Jesus' response should be surprising for a first century man because this is not what we would expect somebody in the first century to say. He says, Martha, Martha, by the Brady Bunch. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. After reading the story of the Good Samaritan, the story of Mary and Martha is confusing. It doesn't really make much sense when you put them next to one another. They, the lawyer, Jesus just told the lawyer to go and do, and he tells Mary to sit and be. They're complete opposites. The lawyer says, go and do likewise. Go and help people. 
and Martha's trying to do work, good work, and Mary's just sitting there, and Jesus commends Mary. Even more surprising is that he seems to rebuke Martha for doing what she thinks will honor Jesus. He says, Martha, Martha. And when placed in this historical context, Martha's the one who's doing right. Because women weren't supposed to sit at the feet of men and listen to teachers. They weren't supposed to be involved in religious discourse. They were supposed to be doing what Martha was doing. They were supposed to be tending to the kitchen and getting meals ready and providing for the other things. And so it's so weird that Luke casts Martha in this negative light by by saying she was distracted by all the preparations. And when Jesus spoke to her, he says, don't let your duties throw your life into disorder. It makes no sense when you think about the Good Samaritan And Mary and Martha. But friends, I believe we need both of these stories. I believe the church needs both of these stories. We need the Good Samaritan and we need Mary and Martha. The story of the Good Samaritan develops the meaning and the command to love our neighbor. And the story of Mary and Martha highlights the overriding importance of devotion to the Lord's word. I think these texts together help us to realize four very important things. And the first is, our greatest priority in life is to love God. There is no greater thing in the world that we can do other than love God. Have you ever heard if you put the Lord first and everything else will work itself out? It might sound cliche, but that's what the Bible teaches us. Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways and he shall direct your paths. And when I say the rest will work itself out, I don't mean that it's all gonna be easy and perfect all the time, that things are gonna be always good, that there won't be difficulties. Jesus experienced lots of difficulties. And he was definitely following the Lord's will. He experienced pain, emotional and physical pain. That doesn't just mean that things will always be like sunshine and rainbows, but that we are always supposed to acknowledge God first, to follow the Lord. Our primary calling and command as Christians is to love the Lord with all we are. To say, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, is essentially to say, love the Lord with everything you've got. Every piece of your being. The first thing we should do, our priority numero uno, is to love God, it's that easy. But the second thing I think we need to realize this text helps us to think about is that we are not the good Samaritan. Jesus is the good Samaritan. And it might sound confusing because when we read the text, we often think of ourselves as the best person in the story. Like we are that person. We read through that lens. But friends, I've got to be honest. As I think about the story of the Good Samaritan and what it means and what we're supposed to do to be the Good Samaritan, I'm more like the priest and the Levite often than I more am like the Good Samaritan. There are plenty of times where I have turned a blind eye to those in need. I have not heard the cry of the needy. I have failed to show mercy. I'm a human who has sinned and not worked against the injustices of the world. I am often more like the priest and the Levite. But you know who doesn't turn away from those in need? who always is in the midst of struggle, who struggled himself and offers the greatest mercy, is Jesus. Jesus is the one who is serving in the time of need. And the biggest reason I think Jesus is the good Samaritan and we are not is because of what he tells the lawyer at the end of that first section. And the lawyer answers the question about what is written in the scriptures after he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Jesus says, Do this and you will live. I think that word do is important. It says, do this and you will live. If you do this, you will inherit eternal life. But I don't know if you know this, but our theology doesn't lend itself to really jive with this line. 
And neither does Paul's. All throughout the New Testament, it says the grace and salvation cannot be earned. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you love the Lord your God with everything that you are, and if you love your neighbor with everything that you are, then you'll earn eternal life. Do this and you'll earn it. And if I were the lawyer, I'd have thought, well, shoot, I guess I'm not gonna inherit eternal life because I often fail to love God with all my heart. I often fail to love my neighbor as myself. I believe I'm getting better and I thank, for the sanct- I thank God for the sanctifying grace that helps me be better every day, to live into the life that we're called to. But if I have to earn my own salvation, then I'm in a big world of trouble. But the good news is we're not the good Samaritans. Jesus is the good Samaritan. There's literally nothing I can do to earn my own salvation. There's literally nothing you can do to earn your own salvation. The reason why Jesus is the good Samaritan is because Jesus is always good. And it's because of the work of God as the person Jesus that we get the gift of eternal life. That God has given us the grace through faith that offers us salvation. There's nothing you can do. You can't get brownie points to heaven. There's no scoreboard that you're this close to eternal life. The reason why if the lawyer probably thought, well, I'm gonna have a hard time with that because we can't do that. Only God can. But the third thing I read in this text and I hear from the Lord is that though we are not the good Samaritan, we should try to be. Just because we are not Jesus doesn't mean we shouldn't try to act like Jesus. There's no shame in the fact that we are not as good as Jesus is because Jesus is God and we are not. And I thank God for that. I thank God that I'm not God because I would, I would be a terrible at it. I would, I would win the lottery way too many times. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus told the lawyer after the story of the Good Samaritan, go and do likewise. Go and be like that. Go and show mercy. Go be like me, basically, is what Jesus is saying. Love the least, the lost. That is one of the things I love so much about being a part of this church. In my first few weeks, I've heard so many stories about Dauphin Way serving in Mobile. This is a church of the community. This is a church of the people. This is a church that is trying to be like the Good Samaritan. In your bulletin, you found this little brochure, this this little booklet. I want you to take this with you and read through it. I don't have time to read through all of it, but if you're new here or if you've been here for a while and don't know about all things going on, Dauphin Way is doing some incredible work in the community. Dauphin Way is trying to be the Good Samaritan. The people of this church are serving those in need and it's so inspiring and it's so incredible. We're partnering with schools to help tutor children. We're supporting people as they struggle through homelessness. We're providing meals to people each week when they can't get out of their own homes. If you're not plugged in and if you wanna be like Jesus, if you wanna live this scripture authentically, if you're looking for a place to serve, then I encourage you to join one of these groups. Join one of these service opportunities. Or another thing you can do is come talk to me or Austin Bradford. We'd love to get you plugged in on Sunday mornings. We're in need of people who who want to serve the Lord on Sunday mornings by welcoming people as they come in, by sitting with new guests, by serving communion. If you're saying, you know, I've been coming to church for a while and and I'm just, you know, I feel like I should... I should do something, you know. This is your chance. This is to do it. Like, this is who we are. We are called to love our neighbors. And the church itself has provided all these different ways that we can do that. And I'm so thankful and proud to be a pastor at a church who's loving our neighbors. But yet we are not 
fully into the full realization of the kingdom of God, which means we still got work to do. That not everybody has heard the good news. That not everybody has yet living into this kingdom mentality. And so I invite you and I encourage you, get plugged in. Find a way to serve. Love your neighbor. It could be at work. It could be through the church, whatever it might be. I know that this church is very capable of it, not just because of the brochure and the bulletin, but because Brianna and I have experienced it these past two weeks. I mean, we've been overwhelmed with love and generosity and hospitality. Like this church has loved us and we were strangers to you all. And you made us your neighbors. You loved us. You've shared meals with us. You've opened your homes to us. It's been incredible. And so I believe in the power of this church and what God is doing now and into this church and what God can do in and through this church. And that brings me to the last thing I wanna highlight. And as the band comes forward, they're gonna get set because you know, we're still working through how exactly I understand what's going on here. And I, and I love this worship team and I love what they're doing. And, and I wanna celebrate that as they get ready to lead us into communion. I just wanna leave us with this last piece. I think the reason that Luke makes sure the story of Mary and Martha came right after the Good Samaritan is that when we get plugged in, when we serve God, we need to make sure we remember, don't forget God. Don't forget the reason why you're doing what you're doing. Martha was so distracted doing all of these things that she didn't realize how important it was to sit and to be there with Jesus. There are probably a few of you here in this room who've been serving a lot, who've been pouring out of your time for the church, for your family in various ways. And I give thanks for you. I'm so thankful for your servant heart and your willingness to love the neighbor. But the scriptures draw us back into the fact that we need to remember and realize that we have to sit and know God. There are times in my life where I'm like, God, I'm so busy serving you. I don't have time to spend with you. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like your life is just overwhelmed with busyness? Whether it's church and kids and work and social groups and all the things going on. This is why I'm so thankful that Luke includes the story of Mary and Martha alongside the Good Samaritan. Because it's not just about always doing and doing and doing and doing and doing. It's about remembering to sit and be with God. It's a reminder that there's no matter what we're doing, there's nothing more important than God. We're not just doing good works because they're good to do. Lots of people do that. We do it because we believe in Jesus. And in order to serve God, we have to know God. And so it's not enough to say, well, I went out and, and, and I served this week. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go to worship. Or I went to small groups, so, so you know, I'm covered for my week. There should be nothing more important to us than trying to sit and be present with the Lord. Whether it's on Sunday mornings in worship, in the mornings at our own homes in prayer, with our family in the evening, whenever that might be for you. God is priority number one. And sometimes we get that out of line. And so that's why I'm so thankful for both of these stories. The lawyer, Jesus says, go and do. Martha, he says, sit and be. And the life of the disciple requires both. 
The life of the disciple requires a person who's gonna go serve their neighbor in the name of the Lord. A person who loves the Lord and is compelled to love the neighbor. That is the life of the disciple. I see that in this church and I see this church making disciples who make a difference. And I'm just so thankful that I get to be a part of this with you all because God is at work here in mighty ways. It has been so uplifting for me to see it and so exciting for me to think about what it's gonna look like as we move into the future. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you have called us to be like you, to be like the Good Samaritan. We ask now, Lord, that that you speak into all of our hearts and help us to, to know where you're calling us to serve, to know what you want us to do, to know where you're leading us to be so that we can do the work in the world that you have called us to, so that we can make your presence known, so we can make the kingdom known on earth as it is in heaven. Let us be your hands and feet. Give us the conviction to go and be the church and help us never to forget you. Never to forget what you are doing for us and in us. Never to forget to give thanks and praise to spend time with you. We thank you that you've given us both stories of serving and being. You are the God of all things and we are your people. In your son's name we pray. Amen.